Yes, good Sunday morning to you. This is going to be an open line show today on Healthy Matters. What does that mean? That means uh, Dr. Hilden will be fielding your general health questions at a, a time when we get very busy, both in uh, text messages and in phone calls. So I urge you to uh, call in or text in your question uh, for the doctor this morning, as soon as you can. And uh, the same number applies for either the phone call or the text messages. That number is 651-989-9226. And while we're waiting for some uh, texts and callers to come in, good morning to you, Dr. Hill, and I hope you've been staying cool uh, this past week. What a week, huh? Good morning to you, Denny, and to listeners wherever you might be listening. Yeah, you're right. If uh, As anybody who's up here, at least in the upper Midwest knows, it's been a scorcher of a week, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've been staying cool, but... But it's so, um, you know, it's hard to stay inside all the time. And I did have a a weekend off here, so I've been at home. But, boy, you just walk outside your house, and those of us who wear glasses, you know, your your glasses fog up, and you can't walk a block without without getting drenched with sweat. So it has been been warm. My hair, fortunately, it's going to be a little bit better now. Uh, I hope people are staying cool out there, um, you know, if you're exercising and the like, and you're taking precautions to stay safe uh, um, because um, this hot weather, particularly when it's hot and muggy, when it's humid as well, that can be dangerous because it's harder to stay cool. But I think it's going to be better now. It's going to be a great Sunday, I think, and I hope everybody has having a great weekend. We were talking uh, yesterday uh, weather-wise about this, the the, uh, intense heat, the excessive heat warning that uh, the Weather Service came out with, and they had mentioned in their warnings and their suggestions that, uh, you know, be cautious if you have to work outside or if you have any kind of activity, be aware of heat stroke. And uh, I was thinking at the time, what what are some of the symptoms uh, of, of heat stroke that we should be aware of? Yeah, that's a great question, Denny. Uh, uh, heat stroke is the, is the most severe end of a spectrum of heat-related illnesses that starts out with the, you just get a little hot, but then you get what's called heat exhaustion, and then it can go to heat stroke. It's all sort of a physics thing, and I, you know, I hate to get too nerdy on everybody, but, well, I'm a nerd. So <laughs> uh, uh, your body generates heat just by by sitting there. I mean, your heart is beating, which is a mechanical pump, so it's generating heat. Uh, your all of the your muscles just to to function generate heat, and normally you get rid of that with perspiration. Other ways too, you breathe out some of it, but it's mostly perspiration. But the problem is when you're outside and it's very humid out. Perspiration isn't very effective because it needs to the the moisture on your skin the sweat evaporates into the air and carries away heat with it. That's evaporative heat loss. Well, if you're not perspiring very well, or if, if, the, if your skin is just staying wet and, it, and the air around you is also full of air, it doesn't evaporate very well. So the heat in your body continues to rise. So your body tries to perspirate even more and more and more. But the cost of all that sweating is that the fluid in your body goes away and you become dehydrated and so your heart has to beat even stronger to keep up and you get in a vicious cycle when your heart has to beat even stronger it it generates more heat and so it perspirates more which gets you more dehydrated which makes your heart beat even stronger and if that gets really bad you get heat stroke and heat exhaustion so the symptoms that you asked for which was your original question you start out feeling a little woozy. Everybody's felt a little of that sometimes. You get a little lightheaded. Um, but if it's getting worse, people will start to think 
funny. Um, they get confused. You might be a little bit spacey. Somebody around you might notice that you're, wow, you're not very sharp. You're, you're saying weird things, almost like you're drunk. And then you start to get more than dizzy. You start to get very lightheaded and you can pass out. Um, if, that, if any of those things is happening, you're starting to get really woozy on your feet or if you're starting to think not clearly, um, you need to get quickly to a cool place, preferably an air-conditioned place, but certainly out of the sun, into the shade. You need to do two things with water. You need to drink as much as you're able to. It's also a good idea to dump some of that water over your body. Um, that's, that's a good way to cool off as well. And if people are getting really goofy in the head and they're passing out, that's an emergency. And that means their body core temperature is rising way too high, probably higher than 105 degrees. You need to call 911 in that situation. It's, it, we do see it in the emergency departments every year. In fact, during the summer, uh, they'll see symptoms of heat exhaustion. I, I don't want to say every, well, maybe every day, I mean, every day that it's this hot. We do see some and uh, some heat-related uh, injuries, so it's a good thing to remember on these well, hot summer summer yeah, weekends. For sure. Well, we do have callers and we do have texters. If you have this, is an open line show today for just joining us. Uh, your general health questions for Doctor Hilden six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We'll get to either the text question answered or the uh, phone call. Uh, let's go uh, to the phones. I think Judy is first up here, calling from Brooklyn Park. Good morning, Judy. What's your question? Hi. Um, I had the blood test the other day to see if I've already had the coronavirus, and I haven't got the results yet, but I want to know that if I could give blood, considering that I had rheumatic fever when I was a child. Yeah. Thank thank you, Judy. First of all, thank you for even considering giving blood because it's so important. As far as I know um, about the rheumatic fever, um, that's not a problem. You can donate blood um, from having had a childhood um, uh, illness, um, even an infectious one like that. So that part, I believe you're okay. But whenever I talk about blood transfusion questions, I always say tell the people at the donation center everything about your history, and they will give you the, the final answer on that one. But I think you're probably okay on that. As for the antibody test um, that you had last Friday, I don't know how long the particular lab um, that you went to will be. Usually the blood test doesn't take too long. So it's not like you're going to be waiting for weeks. You should know the answer to that. And what the antibody test will tell you is simply, have you been exposed to COVID in the last six months um, since it's been around? It won't tell you how immune you are because, frankly, we don't know. We don't know how, how strong that immunity is or even if there is any immunity. We're hopeful. We're really hopeful. But um, you, if you have antibodies, at least it will tell you if you have been exposed to it in the past. So I would go ahead with your blood transfusion, though, and just tell them everything you've just told me, and they'll give you the straight scoop on whether or not it's okay to give blood. All of our blood supply is really, really well um, screened, and so um, I have great confidence in the blood bank people. So thanks for that call. Thanks for donating blood. Yeah, indeed. I know we have to take a break. I want to alert Rosalie. Uh, you'll be first up here on the phones. We have texters coming in as well. If you do have a general health question for the doctor, this is your day, an open line show here in Healthy Matters, 651-989-9226 for either a text question or a phone call here on Healthy Matters. 68 degrees here on News Talk A30 WCCO. Stay with us. 
And good morning. Welcome back to this uh, segment of Healthy Matters, an open line show today. What does that mean? Your general health questions. Chance to ask a question of Dr. Hilden, either by phone or by text, 651-989-9226. All right, Dr. Hilden, we do have callers and we have texters, so let's get back to them. I think uh, Rosalie uh, calling from Minneapolis is first up here. Thank you for waiting, Rosalie. What is your question? Um, I go to the gym, and there's people at the gym who can't say they can't wear a mask because of a medical condition, yet they're running on a treadmill or they're sweating all over a bike, but they don't wear masks. Rosalie, I hear you. I hear you. Um, the gym, well, the issue with wearing a mask, there, there are relatively few people who can't wear a mask for a medical condition. And I would suggest that it's way fewer than who think they have that. Uh, um, The way I think about it is this. So the person on a treadmill can almost certainly wear a mask, um, at least from a medical perspective. They're the two conditions or the two kind of broad categories of people who might have a medical condition are those with severe heart or lung disease. Um, Those would be, that's the one group. People who have such bad heart failure that truly that little bit of barrier of the cloth mask makes it more difficult to breathe because they're barely able to breathe anyway. That would be the same with severe emphysema, for instance. However, those people aren't on treadmills. So that, you know, that one, those, that, that is a, a small group. The other group, there is a, um, People with severe claustrophobia or anxiety, it is probably true that for them it is uh, intolerable. They also would probably not be um, running on a treadmill. And so everybody else, there are almost no medical conditions by w- for which a mask would be not um, possible. Think of it this way. The virus is very small, granted, but the, um, the molecules of oxygen and carbon dioxide are smaller. They are minuscule. They can easily diffuse through anything we're wearing on our face. If that were not the case, your surgeon would be passing out during your surgeries uh, because they wear them all day long. That your anesthesiologist, your nurse, they're wearing them all day long and they're not passing out. The the masks are mainly meant to keep the droplets that are coming out of your mouth in. You know, the, the stuff that when you, you know, when you sneeze or when you cough or when you breathe heavily and that air is coming out of your mouth, that air is, is got relatively large droplets of water. When I say large, I don't mean huge, but I mean, but droplet size. And the mask easily contains those. But it, and it, but it does not contain oxygen or carbon monoxide. So it's not really a thing that people in the absence of those two groups I mentioned have a medical condition. I'm not sure what I would do about that. I, I would probably not recommend confronting people and asking them to prove their medical condition. But I think as a community, we need to come to grips with it. That's not a reason to not wear a mask. I'm, I'm not sure how to convince people that you wear a mask to protect others. So wearing a mask is simply you are telling others you care about your community and you care about other people. Um, I'm not sure how to make people perhaps understand that, but um, maybe it's not my job to, but it is, at least on the medical side, uh, almost everybody can wear a mask. Your question is a good one. All right. Thank you, Rosalie. A texter wants to uh, ask you about this. Let me just read it. It says, I read 
that a good treatment for COVID is something similar to a treatment of asthma, some kind of nebulizer. Is that something you're familiar with that's being used? Texter wants to know. I'm not sure what the medication they might need. Um, We often do breathing treatments on anybody with a respiratory illness, but it, it is not one of the standards for our treatment of COVID. In fact, we don't do too many nebulized treatments with COVID because a nebulizer um, aerosolizes your breathing. And aerosolizing is a more dangerous situation in COVID because what I've been talking about, even in the previous question about the masks, is that the big droplets of your mouth generally kind of fall to the ground. But a nebulizer, by its very design, takes those droplets and makes them very fine into a mist where that you can breathe them in and out. And if you're breathing them out, you're breathing them into the room. Therefore, you're spreading the coronavirus. So we don't do it too much with coronavirus. There is, but theoretically, there are nebulizing treatments is a good way to get medications into your lungs. It's a great way, actually. And so if there were to be a nebulized treatment for COVID, we'd figure out a way, a way to use it. This texture maybe read something about uh, a trial of a drug or something like that. That is certainly possible, and I, I maybe just aren't aware of it. Okay. It's an open line show today, 651-989-9226. Please call Dr. Hilden or, or send a text like a lot of folks are doing, 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones Let's go to New Ulm this time. I think Kay has been waiting there to ask you a question. Good morning, Kay. What is your question? Good morning. I would like to know what exocrine pancreatic insufficiency is. Absolutely, Kay. Thank you for your call. So your pancreas has two functions. Well, it has two main functions. One of them is called the endocrine function, and one's called the exocrine function. And The endocrine function is your hormonal function of your pancreas. It makes insulin and other hormones. Insulin's not the only one, but any anything in your body that is that we call a gland, it means it produces hormones, and your pancreas is thus a gland. It also has another function, though. It it produces uh, digestive enzymes and the like, and and. and that is a um, some people have a, a, a deficiency in those. However, um, it is not as common as we all might think. But there are people who have chronic pancreatitis whose pancreases have just burned out either from, uh, it can be from a lot of things. It can be congenital. You could have a malformed pancreas and it just fizzles out. It can be from a lifetime or excessive use of alcohol. It can be due to a procedure that somebody had and it kind of goofed up the pancreas. So there's a a lot of reasons someone could have that. When your pancreas is no longer producing those uh, enzymes, you have trouble digesting your food. And so there are some ways to to combat that. Um, One is just to swallow enzymes. Yeah, and and your body usually most people do quite well with just that um, that we've had for a great long time. But there are some other kind of uh, newer treatments on the horizon. People generally have um, problems with their their bowel function and digestion. Um, that's how that might show up. It would be you're having trouble with loose stools or or you know, um, irregular. Uh, um, abdominal pain, things like that. So that kind of comes and goes, trouble digesting your food, that those would be some of the symptoms of that condition. 
But um, have- you could see your primary care doctor to start out. Um, you don't have to see a specialist right off the bat, and they can try to help you to see if you have that. I know I, we were going to break here in a moment. I wanted to make mention because you've talked about it before, and you've done it often. I had my first uh, virtual uh, meeting with my primary care physician at uh, at Hennepin uh, a couple days ago. That was pretty interesting. It is uh, interesting, the, the, isn't it, Danny? Through the, through the my chart. Well, I did it without makeup, too, which probably... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you and I both put our makeup on for this show. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Suit and no, tie it's, it's the, the way of the world now. It's not the only way of the world, but we try. If you can do a, a, an e visit, which is by email, and then you can. The next step is a phone or visit, and then the next step is a video visit, and then the next step is an in person visit. So I think that'll go long into the future. Some people love the virtual visits for minor conditions. Uh, we'll see how it goes long into the future, but it is becoming a, a reality at least for the, for for now. It's how some people are, are able to see their doctor. Yeah, it's very interesting. All right, let's take this break. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you have a general health question for the doctor, this is your chance today on an open line show. 651-989-9226 is the number for your text messages or your phone calls. On Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Stay with us. And a good Sunday morning to you. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. Your chance to ask Dr. David Hilden your uh, general health question, either by phone or by text. And Dr. Hilden, we have uh, both for you to field today. Again, 651-989-9226. But before we get uh, back to the phones and text, I think you have a couple of messages, right? I do indeed. Welcome, everybody. If you're just joining the show, thank you for listening. Uh, and thank you for getting up with uh, Danny and me here on a Sunday morning or whatever time you happen to be listening to the show. Uh, a couple things from the hospital. First of all, there's lots of questions, obviously, about uh, uh, coronavirus and how you get back into your clinic. What is the safety of your clinics? Um, what symptoms um, should prompt you to get testing? Should I get this? Should I get that? Well, I encourage you to go to the website, which is hennepinhealthcare.org. Hennepin Healthcare, all one word, dot org. And uh, there's all kinds of information there. There's links to questions about testing, symptoms, treatment, and there are lots of other topics right on the front page of hennepinhealthcare.org. Uh, I'm actually quite impressed by our downtown Minneapolis safety net hospital. We have done a, a substantial number of the tests for COVID-19 in the state of Minnesota, more so than you maybe have heard in um, all over the media and in the news about what uh, my colleagues at other uh, health facilities are doing just a bang-up job and are some of the best people going. But I would like to just highlight the amazing work by the lab, by the screening clinic um, at Hennepin Healthcare. We've had some of the best customer service, I believe, in the state in terms of getting questions to people, um, getting their questions answered, getting them in and out of clinics, um, getting their tests back faster than almost anybody in the area. Um, and so hennepinhealthcare.org if you want more information on that. The second thing is uh, a non-COVID topic. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier of, uh, uh, at the top of the show about heat exhaustion in the summer. There's another thing about, um, uh, about summer, and that's carbon monoxide. Uh, you might be surprised, but even boating is a danger for carbon monoxide toxicity, and that's a very dangerous situation, well, and that can end in, in a, a bad thing for people, but it can all also 
carbon monoxide poisoning result in great outcomes if it's treated correctly. And there's a great story about a young man, just a child, from Alexandria, Minnesota, who was out on Lake Geneva. Anybody listening out there in the Alec area? He was on Lake Geneva and had an unfortunate uh, carbon monoxide situation. He was flown by chopper, or maybe it was airplane, I think it was chopper, uh, to our place in downtown Minneapolis. He was treated with hyperbaric oxygen, which is life-saving. And if you want an uplifting story of a, of a young man who's doing okay, uh, go to that is at our hospital's blog site, which is hereforlife.blog. I don't often talk about that, but that is a, a different blog site from the one I do at My Healthy Matters. Um, this is hereforlife.blog, and you can read all about it. Okay, should we go to the calls? Absolutely. Uh, let's see. I, I want to grab this text because we get this question quite often. Uh, a lot of people either want to get their hair cut or they have to go to the dentist, and the texter says, is it safe to go to the dentist and hair salon? What do you think? Well, safe's a relative term. Uh, right. I have, for the first time since January, got my hair cut from my, my guy Kyle in, uh, in the uptown area of Minneapolis, and I'm about to make a dental appointment. Because there comes a point when the risk-benefit ratio changes. We always talk about risks and benefits in medicine. Literally everything we do or could do is there's a risk to it and a benefit to it. And if the risk is higher than any benefit to be gained, you don't do it. So earlier in the pandemic, going to the dentist in a non-emergency situation, the risk was too high. But it's probably that benefit, has that ratio has flipped now. You certainly can't go without dental care forever or even a great long period of time. We, I do encourage people to care for your teeth with a dental professional. And so, well, if it's been many, many, many months since you've seen the dentist and you're due, the benefit of seeing your dentist probably outweighs the risk now. Now, it doesn't mean it's perfectly safe. I'm just saying that the benefit outweighs the risk. So I would just make sure that your dentist is wearing a mask, and I don't know a single dentist in the country who doesn't wear a mask anyway. They probably should have face shields on and the like. The risk is much higher, actually, to your dentist than it is to you but because um, you won't have a mask on, you obviously. Um, and so I think it's time, if you've been putting off your dental care, to just do your best and um, uh, wear your mask all the way up until the time they take you, they ask you to take it off. Um, make sure that the whole dental staff has theirs on, which I don't think you'll have to worry about. Leave your friends and partners in the car. They shouldn't probably come in. Uh, and I would go ahead and do your dental visit. Haircuts? Well, it's maybe not quite as critical to get your hair cut as it is to see your dentist, but it's the same kind of calculus. Is it a risk-benefit that is favorable? And after probably six months, and if you're starting to look like Bigfoot, uh, it maybe is um, time um, to get your hair cut as well. And I think it can be done safely. Unlike with the dentist, though, wear your mask the entirety of the time. Make sure your mask has the kind that go behind your ears, not tied up on your head, because they that, then they won't be able to cut it. Don't have any facial hair cut. I mean, I wouldn't do beard trimmings and the like. But I think you can, as long as you take those precautions, I think it's okay to get your hair cut as well. All right. Very good. 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones, doctor. Joe in St. Paul has been waiting to ask you a question. Thank you, Joe. Uh, what's your question for the doctor? Hi, thanks, guys. Uh, regular listener, really enjoy the show, Dr. Hilden. Um, I guess my question is more philosophical in nature in that I think there's a lot of people that are following COVID, and they might 
listen to some TV programs or radio or internet or do some reading. And it's pretty clear that most of us who are rational want to follow the science. That's a, a saying that people are have really kind of jumped on. But as we watch these programs, there are, you know, certified doctors or even in some cases former epidemiologists who have somewhat conflicting ideas or answers to this and, and even observations. And for the regular normal person that wants to do the right thing, I guess my question to you, doctor, is are even you surprised that there are medical doctors who are expressing opinions or thoughts or observations that are sort of in opposite of each other? Joe, first of all, thanks for listening to the show, and, and um, I pr always appreciate regular listeners, and thanks for your call. I hear you 100%. Um, I think that the, it is, um, uh, yes, I'm surprised when doctors or epidemiologists are coming out with uh, uh, statements that are in fairly clear opposition to what we know. Um, that is not frankly, in my opinion, excusable, and I don't know what the motives are for if it's just frankly in opposition to what we know. I think that isn't probably what most of them are doing, though. Most of them are simply uh, looking at imperfect data, and they're putting uh, their own interpretation on what to emphasize and what not to. I do have a problem with anybody, including me, who comes across like they know everything when they don't. And so I try to catch myself sometimes and say, you know what, we don't know on that one. Here's the best we have. And I think that is, those are the people I would listen to the most. Those who say, here's what the science shows now. We will update what we know when the science changes. But to make blanket statements in the absence of uh, what most people believe to be the truth, I find to be not particularly helpful, and I wonder about the motives. The thing with the masks is a big one on that. Everyone is saying, that, well, Dr. Fauci didn't say wear a mask back in April. Well, no, he didn't. He didn't say to wear a mask. But, but the scientific method is an iterative one, means we learn data, we, we study, we change our course. We continuously change our course based on new information. Dr. Fauci was using the information out that we had in March to say that probably don't wear a mask, mainly because we didn't have enough to go around. And he was using a calculation that healthcare workers needed the masks. And there's not a lot of data. And so um, he was saying that at the time. But now he's quite clear, yes, you need to wear your mask. And so I think I would look to the experts who are evaluating changing information and putting their best interpretation on it um, based on the latest information. I fully concur with you, um, Joe. That is difficult for, the, for people to know what to believe. And that is not the fault of the general population. That is the fault of those of us who, t who spew out information and, and, uh, and, and don't give people context. So I, 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 I would just suggest to people that the 24-hour the news stations are probably somewhat less reliable, to be honest, because they're just having to fill 24 hours of news and reacting. Uh, I think the um, the data we get from the CDC has 
been pretty good. Um, I would say the data we get from uh, our federal government has been less so. Um, and so I would just make sure that we we uh, we we stick to the the people who are who are who don't have other skin in the game, if you will. There's no political aim. They're not being paid to be on TV. Um, so I think it's a great question, and I've rambled a great deal, Joe, but I, I think about what you've said a lot. So thank you for raising the question. Very good. I know we have to break here in a moment, a quick break. We have more show to come, but uh, we were talking about uh, donating blood a bit ago, and this texter says this, uh, if you donate blood to the American Red Cross, they are running the COVID-19 antigen test on all donations, so you will get it for free and maybe a T-shirt too. So. <laughs> There's a, there's a <laughs> I love I love that you get a T-shirt out of the. I don't know if you get the T-shirt, but they will run the test. <laughs> they will run every test that they need to have um, whenever you donate blood. So that that's a great right. text. Let's take this break. I know we have callers on the line and uh, more texters to take care of uh, this morning on an open line show on healthy matters here on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. It's an open line show this morning here on CCO Radio, answering uh, your questions by phone and by text, Dr. David Hilden. And Dr. Hilden, we do have a bunch of callers and texters too, so let's uh, let's get back to it. I think Catherine has been waiting there in Blaine the longest. Thank you, Catherine. What is your question? Good morning. Hey, I, I have a question. I was, uh, let me get each off speaker just a second. Okay, so I have a question about uh, an article I read in the Science and Health uh, last week in the Sunday paper, and it was uh, very interesting about uh, the uh, scientists have done, uh, you know, tests on people who have died from COVID, and they were very surprised to see that there's a lot of small little blood clots. And, uh, um, okay, so my question with this, is is that something, um, so it's, they're saying blood thinners is an important part of it. I mean, it's not all of it, but it is an important part of it. Uh, is that something that uh, that Dr. Hilden has heard about? And what has he heard? Is it a good thing or bad thing? I'm, I'm just curious. Great questions, Catherine, and thank you for your call. Definitely yes. Um, blood clots are something we think about all the time with COVID. Now, I don't mean that everybody out there who has a positive test needs to go take blood thinners. Uh, that's not it. But it's there is definitely um, a component to this disease process that initially surprised a lot of us in healthcare in that people were getting blood clots in oddball places, sometimes just little bitty ones through your body in little teeny vessels and sometimes rather large ones. And so the standard of care now in the hospitals is if you are hospitalized with, well, to, to back up a step, if you're hospitalized with anything, um, we, we generally put people on blood thinners to prevent blood clots because simply being in a hospital bed for a few days is a risk for getting blood clots. If you have COVID, though, we 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 up our game, if you will, and you get um, you get usually a larger dose of a blood thinner. And we look for and we keep track of conditions that might be clotting your blood. And uh, so we definitely, um, we, we give blood thinners to patients with COVID in the hospital almost universally, just about universally, unless there is some reason that the, that the risk of it is too high. And we do generally give higher doses. It's not clear why that is. 
you know, COVID is a respiratory virus. It causes severe lung failure, a condition called ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. Your lungs fill up with inflammation. So it starts out with a virus, but it leads to inflammation and fluid in your lungs. That's what happens. But that inflammation is probably present throughout your body. It could be inflaming blood vessels, which irritates them and, and causes then leads to blood clots. Um, that could possibly be one of the reasons, but it's known that um, COVID can affect lots of different organs by various, by not entirely understood means. Blood clotting is definitely one of the things we think about, though. All right. We have so many texts, too, as well as callers, so my apologies uh, at the top here. Uh, here, There's one that's not COVID-related. Texter says, I have osteoarthritis in my foot. I cannot see my veins on the top of my foot over my arch any longer. Is this dangerous? Well, it's probably not dangerous, but if you can't see the veins on your foot and you can see them on the other one, there's clearly some swelling or inflammation going on in that foot. And whether or not, um, if that foot is hot and red and warm, then it could be dangerous because it could be infected or you could have something like gout, but an infected joint is a serious condition. In the absence of that, though, if it's just kind of mild swelling and you can't see your veins very well anymore, it's probably just inflammation, and that's not likely very dangerous. But if it's getting worse, I would ask that texter to have that seen by your rheumatologist. They can either drain it or give you medications for that or at least offer physical therapy options for your arthritis. If you do have bad arthritis, I would suggest a physical therapist. They're great at treating that. I think we have time for one more caller, Doctor. Uh, Jim is uh, waiting in Brooklyn Center, I believe, there. Jim, what's your question for the doctor? Uh, yeah, doctor. I've got bad knees and bad back, and I bought some knee braces from Walgreens. I'm not going to say which one, but the knee braces were just too tight. I returned them. Should I keep looking for an extra pair, or should I just keep using, like, Icy Hot, Bengay, and all the other therapeutic ointment for those knees, or should I get some rehabilitation on those knees with pool aquatic therapy from the aquatic center over on Chicago Avenue at Abbott Northwestern Hospital. I did that before, and it helped out my back and alleviated the pain. Yeah, yeah, those are great ideas. They are great. I, if you're having such pain in both of your knees, I wouldn't just recommend getting a brace and calling it a day. I, um, the, you might need bracing, but often what you need is not less mobility in your joints. You need more. And your last question, your last part of your question was the one I mostly um, landed on is rehab. I would get a physical therapist to see you, whether that's in aquatic therapy in a pool, whether that be in their office or in their gym. Um, I happen to be a big fan of those. I think that they can help you strengthen the muscles around your knees. They can help you um, uh, find ways to get through your life that doesn't require you to wear braces all the time. Now, there might be a role for those braces if, if, it's, if your knee isn't stable. It's like giving out on you. But in general, more activity is better. I have uh, my wife's a fitness instructor, and, and she often quotes a colleague of hers that says, motion is the lotion. And so um, if you want to lubricate your joints and everything, keep them moving. And, and the best way to do that if you're having pain is to do it under the guidance of a professional. So I love your idea of going to the pool therapy. I love your idea of seeing a physical therapist. It does give me a little uh, uh, 
opening here, Denny, if I could, to talk about next week's show, however. We're going to have Dr. Richard Printon on the show. Dr. Printon is a chiropractor, and he leads our integrative health division. And we're going to talk about most specifically back pain. But I would be happy to talk to Dr. Printon about knee pain as well. And he can really get into some of the details of, of what rehabilitation therapy can do for you. So that'll be next week on the show. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Exactly. That's what we're going to talk about on next week's show. We're going to talk about back pain and joint pain and how uh, and the role of chiropractic. You're going to want to check that out. And in the meantime, go to myhealthymatters.org and check up on the blog. In the last 60 seconds we have here, uh, a, a texter wants to know, uh, do, do they still do weight loss surgery at Hanavan? Yes, we do. Um, weight loss surgery is is it can cure your, well, I hate to use the word cure. It can just about make your diabetes go away. It can help your blood pressure. If you meet the criteria, um, uh, uh, have a comprehensive weight loss program, and I know the surgeons, they're good. <laughs> uh, I see them in the hallway, if you will, so I happen to know they're good. I, uh, and so um, you can call our bariatric. That's not geriatrics with a G. It's bariatrics with a B, B-A-R, B as in boy, B-A-R-I-A-T-R-I-C bariatric. And you can check it out at hennepinhealthcare.org. Um, you can just put in the search term weight loss or, and it will bring you to the bariatric uh, department. And um, it's a good program. It really is. Well, let's, uh, let's meet again next week, doctor, for uh, more Healthy Matters. Thanks for today. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk about back pain next week.